0: Hiya! Welcome to another episode of Zero Ambitions, a podcast about sustainability in the built environment. So this week it's just me and Jeff. We were joined by the magnificent Zoe DeGrusa, who is the author of that infamous Camden retrofit overheating case study that Jeff references an awful lot. It's the one where the toilets ran dry. It's quite remarkable in a bunch of ways. So finally, we get to hear the stories direct, not half remembered. So Zoe also works at the BBSA, that's the British Blind and Shutter Association. She's a a technical and sustainability consultant there, and she's soon to move into a role at SIBSI. As well as talking about Camden, we talk about the difficulties of modelling for shading as a means of mitigating overheating, the value of shading more generally, the fact that it's such a tried and tested solution for... An increasingly prevalent problem. It's bonkers that it isn't more prominent. This is actually going to be sort of a, a two parter about the value of shading. Uh, over the next couple of months, we have former guest Tom Dollard coming on to talk about the shading guide that he has authored with the support of other people as well, which we reference plenty of times in the course of the episode. But I won't keep you any longer. There's no point going on about what's coming next. Just enjoy Zoe.
1: She was an awful lot of fun. Thank you for joining us. Cheers. It's it's nice to actually see you as so, I mean, I, I've never, I know we've talked before um, and and obviously corresponded, but never. Yeah, actually always phone
2: an email, Jeff. I know never I'm kind stopped. of
1: elusive like that, you know. So I've faced radio, you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I tend to kind of spare people that. But uh, yeah, congratulations as well. Dan told me that you, you're, I don't know whether you've already started or you're starting a new position with Sibcy. Is that right?
2: In the new year, yeah, um, yeah, to so start new year. So next week's my last week with BBSA yeah which is sad it's really actually really sad to go- be leaving i was started they sent an announcement out yesterday to the members and i was like oh tear to the eye because uh, it's been quite some time and we've done quite a lot in that time so it'd be sad to leave them but they're not gonna let me go easy <laughs> <Okay. laughs> they'll be chasing me while i'm at sibsy they're already like oh you're gonna get that shading guide redone it's like yes yes we'll work on it
1: maybe as a mole uh, in exactly
2: <laughs> i think that's that oh yeah they're really pleased that i'm going to sibsy because they know that's where they i think it's then one of the stakeholders that they really need to make a change with and impact to get it oh, yeah. more recognized within building services so they have high hopes for what I can do there. So we'll see.
1: <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. What uh, What is uh, out of bounds today? What can we not talk about? So in
2: it's more just being specific. Like, I'm happy to say, like, compliance tools are not up to scratch in terms of shading.
0: <laughs> we, we can talk about Camden without using the word
2: yeah that would be good too so apparently they're starting to they're going to put mechanical ventilation into the apartments that we monitored so i've been trying there's right. someone else another researcher who's looking at um who's trying to look at material change of use so a permitted development when they change from flat. so we're trying to restart that as another potential case study for
0: them amazing oh. yeah. um, so we will talk about camden
1: when should we regard our uh, uh, Dan how, is any of this going to be usable now or we've been too yeah yeah no no
0: no I think right so for context so the theme of the conversation I think we boiled down to shading is a Victorian solution to a modern problem like so in keeping with what you said the other week, we need more Victorian solutions to get the the Moggs and Johnsons on board with this this fantasy utopia of the UK's past <laughs> uh, we got one shading. High street or Keep those
1: blue bloods blue. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> I mean, it won't give them any more chin, but it'll make them happier. <laughs> so yeah, uh, the central premise is that, like, shading should be a primary measure. Camden will reference that it shouldn't be a seasonal issue, which is why we're putting an episode out in December. Yeah, And we'll probably talk a lot about how shading's value is hard to quantify because it's hard to model. And it is hard to justify in the way that building projects are appraised when they're being specified
1: so it's an easy yeah, thing to cut in it yeah in the context of your your new role at Sibsi, uh, and i presume we can reference the fact that you're starting there yeah um, great there's a fascinating i mean that's fascinating oven in itself in the sense that you're some of the positions that you adopt might be uncomfortable for some tech obsessed consulting engineers, I suppose, you know, um, it, you know what I mean? In the sense that you're looking for non-mechanical, no moving parts solutions to reduce the burden on building services. Yeah. Um. So that, that's, that is an interesting, I wouldn't say contradiction, but it's an interest interesting kind of tension there, you know?
2: Yeah, I suppose though, so, but. Sipsy is very much I mean they're trying to do the best for best at reducing the impact of buildings we've got these yeah. large targets of net zero and things like that and we know that the way to meet it is to reduce energy consumption and if we can do that by passive means first um, and it's very much what government are saying as well that we should be trying to use all these approaches first before mm. going to energy I think we were previously quite lucky in that energy wasn't such a worry i was listening to your interview with it was it uh cedric in canada and saying how energy isn't isn't a worry but they're still doing these things anyway because it's the right thing to do and i think even if energy wasn't an issue i, I would hope that we we would be doing that also yeah um, maybe that's a bit <laughs> oh,
0: i love uh, so that's cedric burgers the canadian yeah, architect what I loved about him was he gifted us the proposition that energy is the apex predator of building design. So like the wolves in Yellowstone Park change the whole ecosystem for the better. They turn it into a more vital, vibrant, and better functioning ecosystem. If you reduce energy demand it within a building system, in the same way, like it, it it precipitates all sorts of positive changes for everything beneath it that you might not expect. So you reduce the amount of energy through using non-technical systems, uh, the the amount of energy demand through less, not non-technical, less technologically driven solutions. You improve the quality of people's lives all the way through. Not just in the building, but in the surrounding area, nationally, internationally, all the way through to climate change. The ways of reducing demand make people's lives better all the way through. And it beggars belief that we don't choose to do it. We all know why. It's capitalism, isn't it? uh, I can hear you though, Dan, it was a request. Yeah, it was, it's, I'm trying not to say capitalism. <laughs> 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 it's over consumption. That's it. That's that, that, that'll do. Uh, as a, a Capitalism sci-fi.
2: and playing into people's I suppose conveniences. Right, it's, it's all part easier. and parcel of the same thing, innit? Like yeah. It's
1: because right, it's Stupidity, it's, I think, is the word I would use. Yeah. Yeah. Laziness and stupidity.
0: But yeah. oh man, but it's it's bigger than that. It's more systemic. So in the preparation conversation we had, one of the bits I took away, hence the thematic proposition of today's conversation that shading is a Victorian solution to a modern problem, was the 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 point that you referenced, Zoe, that high streets, the shops on high streets, used to have awnings on them as a means of reducing passive uh, solar gain in the shops. As a cooling measure, not just protecting people from rainfall outside in those few feet, like it's a permanent techno. It is a technology, like a, yeah. a an awning, but it's a really simple one. Yeah, and it works all year round in a variety of functions. Now it's been reduced to an aesthetic choice because we have hardcore technological solutions like aircon. To refrigeration yeah. and even to mitigate
2: before position. that, I suppose. Um, so shading was really popularised in the Tudor times, and before at that time we didn't have glass, so there were really crude shutters, like just yeah, just solid wood at your windows <laughs> to uh, to uh, keep buildings warm to protect them and also to protect them from the heat outside. So I mean, it's something that we used to do pre glass. And now it's kind of, yeah, it's changed.
1: It's, it's to time. keep big sweaty Henry the Eighth cool. Was that it? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, that's that's amazing.
2: Uh, there's actually a great picture in the um, shading for Hi- for housing design guide of Buckingham Palace with external shading on. And I think it was eighteen. I think it was eighteen ninety seven. Yeah. So it's incredible to think that external shading was on Buckingham Palace. Where is it now? Why are we not doing it? Why, Why was it taken away? I think it really came down to a fashion choice that we had heating. We didn't feel the need that we needed it for cooling anymore, mm. um, and things things changed.
1: Yeah, and you know this old—I um, uh, don't know if it's medieval thing or whatever—but uh, you ever go around a, an old castle? They'll talk about these um, shades that they put inside a building to protect the aristocracy. Their you know their 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 beautiful blue skin, their blue blood from uh from uh, from light like, because of course back in those days you know, a tan was a sign of uh, yeah. a lower social status and having to work out in the in the elements and stuff, you know? Is that an element of this as well, or...? or? I don't know.
2: Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, they had parasols for days, I think, if mm-hmm.
0: they wanted to venture outside. Yeah. Did you know it was the birth of Hollywood? Like, the, the colour film, rather, that popularised the tan? Because it looked so good on screen. So, Hollywood celebrities because of the the aesthetics of film as a medium they they made it become they made it be attractive where as you said like as a signifier of not being a manual laborer not being stuck outside toiling
1: in whatever fashion
0: pale skin was a signifier of status Although yeah because of like... course
1: in the early um movies and theater before it and i know this from my own personal experience to my tedx talk as well they'd cake you in in pale makeup you know uh, to catch the light on stage i uh when i was doing my tedx talk um i arrived uh, i was trying to be really relaxed on the day of the talk um so i took a long walk and I ended up being almost late for the talk of course you know <laughs> characteristic style so the so the um the person who was meant to be the makeup artist who was meant to be doing the makeup for me was unavailable so i had to basically put it on myself <laughs> so when you look at my tedx talk there's a lot of extreme far shots of me uh, i think because um of how frightening I look.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, bless. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, back onto the subject. <laughs> all right. So, let's look at this again. Because, like, with a warming climate, shading itself should be a primary measure. I mean, that is something that we talk about regularly. Mm. And overheating is now revealing itself as a present problem in the uk not one Ireland. In the yeah. yeah 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 sorry yeah you don't own us anymore dan sorry <laughs> yes well i mean it's not just in the uk yeah. it's all over europe but europe seems to be a little bit prepared for this you're not interested stuff. in europe you know we know that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm. speaking. I'm speaking in those terms for our Irish audience and the the Europeans. There, you don't listen to me, people in England. Yeah, <laughs>
2: they are. I mean, they're more ahead. You see, you see shading in Europe so much more commonplace. I mean, in France, just last year they brought in brought into their regulations that all commercial buildings, all new commercial buildings, will now have to have external shading, which has brought up some interesting questions about wind resistance and. Uh, what possible solutions can you have on high rise and things like that? So that's, I suppose, created a whole new research area, really, that we have not really.
1: I mean, there's also potentially thermal bridging implications out there. Um, if you've got structural penetrations going through insulation layers and stuff to, to hold external. you know, Obviously, you can design this out. It depends on how yeah. you. Um, uh...
2: Exactly. And this is one of the things that it's, like, it's much more difficult to retrofit shading than it is to have it in the initial build because you can start solving all those those issues. By planning it and why shading needs to be so thought of so early in the process of particularly high rise buildings, because you've got the thermal bridging issues, how you're going to fix it. It's like some facades in the UK, in some cases, external shading is impossible to retrofit. Mm. So then we have to look at best internal measures.
0: Why isn't it a priority? Because this is something that affects uh, the UK, is, it, is beginning to affect the UK and Ireland much more. But it's also a very present issue in North America, much of North America, where they rely on aircon as a just as a matter of course. Why isn't shading a priority? I think it's always
2: so. So it's very difficult.
0: So is it like um, the is it the sun tan of buildings.
2: <laughs> I think there's there's definitely an an aesthetics issue. We have. Um, with the de- when designing buildings we also have an issue around maintenance so because it's not regarded it's always been regarded as like a shading has always been thought of something for glare and daylight less for thermal and it's shifting our thinking that actually this product is beneficial for keeping our buildings cool and we struggle to make that shift in the UK and Ireland Thank you. Yeah. where in Europe it's it, it it's much more more well regarded and understood.
1: Is that um, not needs muster, Zoe? I mean, they've had you know historically hotter climates than us, so th- so they you know uh, they have yeah. this stuff baked in more, right?
2: Yeah. So you think of parts of France, southern France, they know the hardship of being too hot for a majority of the majority of the year. Where um, so perhaps that makes it easier to change regulations internally. I d- I don't know. Where in the UK and Ireland, it's a harder challenge. I mean, within regulations, there is some element of trying to minimise solar gains, both for commercial and now definitely for domestic with the introduction of Part O. And it's only at the moment, it's a case of time will tell to see how well implemented Part O will be. But again, we're only really addressing new buildings and there's a lot to be done on retrofit. Would you Which mind would like to see things going in the future.
0: Yeah. Would you mind explaining between us what Part O is for anyone who might not be aware, like, <laughs> like, like me?
2: Yeah. Um, so Part O is a new regulation that was introduced last year in England and Wales. They're both called uh, Part O in England and Wales. And in Scotland, it's called slightly something slightly different. I forget that. But it's in their technical handbook of how to address overheating. And... There are, I suppose, two ways to comply in England and Wales to comply with this regulation. Um, it makes it very difficult because all the nations are slightly different in how they their particulars around it. But if I speak about England, so there's a simple method and a thermodynamic method. So the simple method you have to let me get this right. Hang on. There's certain criteria you have to fulfill. But I suppose the main point of it is to evaluate the overheating risk mm-hmm. and as a first measure, um, install um, passive principles of reducing that overheating risk. So looking at natural ventilation, um, window opening areas, the size of glazed areas and shading as a measure of reducing the overheating risk. It's okay. quite detailed. So I would have to look at it to tell you all the specifics. <laughs> but there is a simple method, but even the simple method is quite technical.
1: And the simple and method doesn't require you to actually calculate the Yeah, so
2: the simple method is kind of a there's a criteria hit list. So you evaluate the size of the glazing and depending on that you, you may you need to reduce it to a certain certain area um, and then look at the openable areas of windows. And then shading is in there. If you're doing this, then you need to implement shading.
0: So this is a, a practical, manageable response to a growing issue that doesn't rely on cultural change. Like by cultural change, I'm, I'm referring to you referenced folk in the south of France, Alex, who isn't here today, he's busy sorting some boiler problems out in his house. He talks about the routine that they have to follow at home in the summer months, you know, like the cool air in at night stop it getting in in the morning and open your shutters and manage your windows throughout the day with the sun
1: and something we're absolutely not used to you close Apart. your building up in the morning don't you when you're going out yeah. um and uh, and then you open it at night you know night purge ventilation they call it for instance when you're um which is that uh, it's that's it's not just a cultural issue it's a building design issue too um because if you've got like single aspect flats for instance. Well, how are you supposed to, you know, if you know, no scope for cross ventilation, uh, at, at least, how are you supposed to use ventilation to, to, natural ventilation to, 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 to assist with, with cooling in that case?
0: Yeah. Well, there's nothing you can do. So my experience having moved out of a Southwest facing flat with a massive window, which was brilliant in the winter months, like, oh, magnificent. But in the summer, trying to, we had a little, a tiny little balcony that you could only fit a couple of chairs on. It was a sun trap. So when it got like on a bonny day, mm. like it would just be too hot to sit out there. You know, you get like half an hour, get a bit of sun on your flesh. Uh, it was lovely. But that was the bit of the building design that made the biggest difference to how hot our flat was during the, the heat wave that we had the other year. So just putting it, like when we moved out, I just happened to bump into the the buyers on the day we were leaving. And the the main piece of advice I gave them was, when it gets too hot, put a sheet on the outside of the patio door and shut it, and never yeah. open it.
2: <laughs> I had a similar it- experience. This was before I did my PhD, so I didn't know about overheating. <laughs> I didn't, know. but we, uh, me and my partner, we looked at a flat, and it had a fan in the bedroom. It was a ground floor um, Victorian conversion into flats. So really nice. And we were really like, pleased. But when I looked around, I was like, oh, look, they've even got a fan, an electric fan in the in the bedroom. That's really handy. Didn't think anything of it until we got to summertime. And I realized, oh, yeah, so we have, we're ground floor. So we've got windows out at the front, which can be lifted up, the sash windows. But obviously that's our bedroom and on the street level. So we don't really, we can't really open those and then to the rear of the property there was we had some doors that opened onto um our uh, courtyard um but we obviously couldn't leave those open and there were no other windows
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, <my God>. yeah. <laughs>
2: so yeah so we were very warm in our in our lovely flat that looked nice but practically it was a sweatbox in summer
1: <laughs> yeah oh, and wow. it was actually um I mean I've talked about it a number of times on the podcast but it was actually another southwest facing highly glazed flat in London that was the the basis of me getting in contact with you for the first time Zoe. So I think it was it was it came through John Bootland um from uh the Pasif Trust and Sustainable Development Foundation and the Good Homes Alliance as part of that. Um he connected me with Julian oh god Brooks is it? I think uh
2: Yeah, Julian Brooks.
1: On uh, uh, this specific issue of overheating and Julian referred me to you and I came across this amazing piece of research on this uh, this former shoe factory uh, on Bayham Street in Camden that you had that you had done and I just thought it was a, a insofar as an academic paper can be, it was a riveting read uh, and um, it was um extraordinary the, the the kind of insights that you 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 came to from it was just amazing to get a developer who was willing to kind of actually engage yeah. you know and That's and uh, rather than just try and bury the problem you know so whoever i don't know what the developer's name is but they deserve enormous credit whoever they are for uh, uh helping us all to uh to advance our own understanding of how profoundly problematic overheating can be and not necessarily even in very low energy buildings too so yeah. are we into camden now yeah oh. Oh.
2: So we were really lucky with that study. So it was it actually caught us quite off guard because I was in the first year of my PhD, which generally it should be just reading, just reading and trying to work out what you're going to do for your research. But um, I had a member contact me who's actually the technical chair of our of the BBSA, Dave Bush. Um, so he oh, yeah. uh, So he'd been contacted by this building developer and it was local to him because he's based in Islington. So they came to him and said, "Look, I'm developing this building. So they, like you said, they were they were converting the property into apartments from uh from an office. So it was previously a shoe factory originally, changed into offices, and now being converted into some very nice apartments, very swish. <laughs> I definitely couldn't afford to live in them. Um, and they contacted him saying that having an over, they knew that they were having an issue with overheating." So they were developing it to uh, building regulations 2010. Uh, so I, I, as I went into the study in 2016, and yeah, so they contacted Dave Bush and said they're having various issues with the property. The plumbing and the, the water in the toilets had actually dried up. So there was a sewer smell within the apartments because it was, it was that warm in there. The water traps were drying out.
0: So that means that the... There was no water in the bottom of the toilet, so the odor was just there was no nothing to block the drain smells getting through, yeah, and nothing to take your ablutions away,
2: yeah, exactly, so this was and this was just as it was being com- converted into the apartments. so they were discovering this as they were trying to finish off the rest of rest of the building the <laughs> that they prepared were um, yeah, smelling quite um. Yeah, not so fresh. They also said that the new flooring that they'd laid had started peeling off because the adhesive had like melted and then started peeling. Um, so there were various issues. Anyway, so he was asked, what could you do? And Dave, being a, a good advocate of external shading, went external shading. Sadly, that wasn't going to meet the mustard with planning because the external facade, there was a walkway underneath. So it would be a safety issue to have external shading there. That was what was perceived. So we had to look at internal solutions. Oh, God. But the developer was great because they were in the middle of developing and they still had a bit more work to do. Our chair said, ha, we have a PhD researcher. Would you mind if we came around and did some monitoring? So we were lucky enough to get two to three months in there in 2016 between August and October to monitor the place. Um, And this definitely caught us off guard because I didn't have a clue of how I should be monitoring it. So we grabbed a load of equipment. I knew that we needed to monitor operative temperature as opposed to air temperature. And that's worth
1: explaining what that is because most people won't have a clue what you're talking about.
2: Operative temperature is the temperature of a black globe. So we were really technical with our instruments. We got thermometers, a black plastic ping pong ball Black because we spray painted it black and stuck that on the end of the thermometer. And that gives you a measurement of operative temperature. The idea being is that it's the closest representation to what a person would feel, a clothed person in that room. So we had, we were able to get into four of the apartments and we chose the bedrooms to monitor. And these were on the southwest facade. So we stuck sensors in. Four of the bedrooms that were all similar sizes, I stuck a sensor in the middle of the room. And then, because it was a manual a reading, I recruited some students from uh, London South Bank University. They were my peers, actually. They were <laughs> I went through university with them and they were running up and down stairs for me every 10 minutes, taking these measurements from these four rooms. Um, and it doesn't sound that bad. For, so, for two months. <laughs> So this was between August and October. So we had to work in what on work days and we obviously had to work around other people's commitments, but we managed to get good data for, I think it was about 20 days. And then this got ruled down to 14 days because there was a few errors in how the measurements were done
1: that's still uh, a hell of an undertaking though you know yeah i love so, that detail
0: the, like getting your peers and making them run up and down stairs all day and punishing heat <laughs> yeah <laughs> so
2: they, they were definitely getting paid
0: for, for a pittance. <laughs>
2: and i was being <laughs> ice cream and water especially because at the start we were in a heat wave and i think external temperatures were around 32 degrees but our first measurement Uh, One of the early measurements was 47.5 degrees in one of the unshaded apartment rooms. It was really staggering. And obviously we had cooler days as well. So when like looking at the data, I tried, so we looked at the data set and worked out what days we had available and tried to, so I think I had five days where the external temperatures were between 20 and 25, five days where it was 25 to 30. And I think I, I included four days where there were in excess of 30 degrees outside. Something like that. I oh, know, I may have said that wrong. Hang on. It was five days below 20 degrees, five days between 20 and 25, and five days, ab- uh, four days above 25 degrees. To make sure that we weren't trying to skew the data because we yeah. had experienced a hot weather period, but tried to show an average summer conditions. But actually, it was actually getting into the October time it was the later in the season that was also an issue and we it was quite unexpected that we saw overheating events then as well but at this time of year i think this is what often gets forgotten we often think oh shading's only a solution for summer but in actual fact it's those in between seasons where the sun angle is changing and we start getting a lot of solar gain going directly into buildings because the angle of the sun is slightly lower when it's high up in the sky in summer it's, it's shining down on your roof if you've got roof light it's a big issue mm. but it's not coming streaming into your windows oh, um, and so that was really interesting from the study as well isn't this, that also, yeah. is it
1: also the case that they say that southwest tends to be more problematic than south for the same reason
2: yeah it's east east and west those kind of angles east and west tend to be a big issue southwest yeah because you get that high uh higher intense solar gain for a longer duration of the day
0: Oh, we get, uh, so in the house I'm in now, sometimes I work from the living room and we have a treacherous solar gain in the early evening. So about four o'clock, the sun comes through the window and it's blissfully warm for a bit in this cold house. And then all of a sudden it goes and you you drop into icy conditions. Like it's treacherous in the same way people talk about winter weather. Yeah. Like on the roads, like this this radiant heat is so misleading. It lulls you into a false sense of comfort and security and then cruelly snatches it away as the light dims <laughs> around you. Prick.
2: Yeah. And that's exactly yeah. what we picked up when doing our monitoring. You all of a sudden at a certain time, like later in well, later in the afternoon, you start seeing this massive increase in operative temperature because the sun is on the majority of of the room. And it and if that, it's that is that issue. If you were to be using those rooms at the time, they become impossible to work in or live in because you've got this stream of solar gain. Um, And that's why shading, it stops it. It stops it before it enters the building in the case of external shading. So then it's easier to manage your property through passive ventilation through the rest of the day. So in our study, we did also incorporate ventilation. So like you mentioned earlier, we open the windows, I think uh, we stopped our monitoring at four o'clock in the afternoon. And so before we left, because they had to lock up the lock up the building and everything, we opened all the windows. And then when we came in, in the morning, we closed them to, to try and emulate also a person's behaviours of if they were to go to work. If they were to leave for the day, they're likely close their windows for security, for safety reasons, and then come back and have these uh, high temperatures uh, four, five.
0: So going back to what you were talking about earlier, would PARTO have prevented these conditions?
2: If they were, yes, yes, 100% yes. So at the moment, yeah, I mean, the size of the glazed area and the opening area of that window was so tiny in comparison to the size of the window, it was ridiculous. And also, I, I mean, that case study, it really had all the hallmarks of having an overheating issue you had quite low floor to ceiling heights a thing that a lot of developers do to try and and Mm -hmm. increase occupancy within a building large glazed areas you had bedrooms on the wrong on the wrong uh, the facade really i mean if you were to think about it logically you'd probably put them further back you had no access to cross ventilation because you had single-sided apartments yeah there were lots of warning flags that this property was going to overheat well
1: okay. you're all, also I'm also thinking about how realistic it really would be in London to expect people to open windows uh overnight you know uh, whether it's for you know maybe for higher higher ones people might be willing to if there wasn't a security concern but you know noise pollution you know I don't know
2: yeah we did actually do some acoustic recordings overnight as well because that was one of the things that we were thinking about and it was I can't remember specifically. It was in my thesis, but I did acknowledge that I think in either case it was quite loud because there was a bus stop right outside the property as well. and um, right. that obviously operated all night, twenty four hours buses in London. so you'd get you'd see these fluctuations. But what it was substantially louder in those rooms when the windows were open, but I think I don't know. I I think me and Dan spoke about this before once. Um, And I, I can't remember if I mentioned it, but my apartment also, the one that overheated also had a train line at the back of the garden. <laughs> yeah. And now I live in rural Oxford and I I can I get annoyed when I can hear the birds chirping too irritatingly outside. <laughs> 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 but I managed to put up with a train line at the back of my garden for quite some time and didn't even bat an eyelid. It was really funny we had um, like when we'd have a barbecue and have people over they'd go "How do you put up with a train line?" Oh, we we just kind of didn't hear it anymore.
1: Yeah. What um, train line? So I
2: think I wouldn't say <laughs> All, we we can do that with all types of sound but I think you do kind of acclimatize to a certain level and then also when you're really hot being yeah. really hot, you're kind of weighing up being really hot and being having some sound disturbance like what would you prefer I mean in my personal experience I'm quite happy to forego the sound if I'm feeling a little bit cooler well then. it's
1: true uh, I think I think for some neurodiverse people um it can be more challenging as well though um yeah you know on on, on both fronts with the sound or or the kind of temperatures as well so in other words um we shouldn't be in a position where we're we um certainly with new build and i think i think a lot with with with, with the knowledge that we we can apply with retrofit we shouldn't be in a position where we're being forced to choose if we're if we're on top of this issue surely it should be possible to kind of find solutions that. yeah that, um, um,
2: part o does actually ad- address this or is trying to address it I know there's been reports of some unintended consequences through what they've implemented. So there is an acoustic requirement. So uh, noise levels do have to be t- taken into consideration when relying on natural ventilation. And I know those levels are quite tight. In other words, that a lot of b- buildings are failing on the acoustic side. Have we lost Jeff? I don't
1: know. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm here, but I'm backing out. Oh, I was down for a second. Oh, trousers right. off. Yeah. No, no trousers <laughs> off. Just dodgy internet connection.
2: <laughs> um yeah so there is an accuser so they've said that they're quite tight as in a lot of buildings particularly in cities are failing the acoustic requirement and therefore not being able to rely on natural ventilation as like their mitigation method so then they're kind of shown down the route of mechanical ventilation and so what has been said is that a lot more properties are going down the mechanical ventilation route which is in my eyes okay but i'm just a little concerned that they're not also including shading in those strategies to try and reduce the mechanical ventilation from what i've heard i don't know if you hear things on the grapevine it seems that they're just going right acoustics failed so mechanical ventilation it is which
1: is not really
2: what should be happening they should still be trying (laughs) to lower the load on mechanical ventilation as far as possible that by implementing shading as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, but that's an approach that you see throughout, I mean, not just the, the construction industry, throughout all industries. Like, I can't be bothered thinking this through. What's the other thing we do when this happens? Oh, yeah, just, just fuck that into it. Who cares? And, I mean, this is why the retrofitting of shading or, man, I even heard, we're going to have uh, Tom Dollard on the podcast uh, in a couple of weeks or we're recording right. in January. To talk about the the shading guide that he has authored that I don't know if you were involved in that at all. Or, yeah, yeah. I was. All right. So we won't get into that. We won't steal his thunder. He can talk about that. <laughs> but uh yeah, people like where overheating becomes an issue, it's just working through the list of things that get ever more expensive at the cost of the experience of living in the building for the occupants.
2: <laughs> yes, definitely. Uh, I mean, I'm also, so as part of BBSA, I'm also part of the European Solar Shading Organization. And we recently commissioned a study by Guidehouse. They do a lot of uh, great, great work, mainly to produce evidence for um, policyholders and things like that. And they did a lot of modeling work around shading. And one of their outcomes was that if 70%, I think it was 70% of existing buildings that have aircon, implement automated external shading that there'll be i think it were it came down to 250 billion euros saving through Jesus. the implementation implementation of automated shading and that was only looking at 70 we said like oh if 70 of the existing buildings that have aircon install shading what what would happen um so that was put forward as part of a, a package of evidence for the next epbd release so <laughs> That oh, right, which has
1: just uh, which has just been agreed, actually, a few days ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. I haven't looked oh. at
1: it yet. So, you've well, no interest <laughs> in, a, like in Brexit. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, no. it,
0: it is of no consequence to us. Yeah, you can stick your taxonomy. <laughs> We're making up our own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, what's astonishing there is? So, one of the, the 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 issues that we wanted to talk about today was the fact that shared value in a building project is really hard to quantify for a variety of reasons but actually (laughs) you just said (laughs) shading's value is really easy to quantify not that easy i do appreciate that but like (laughs) that's a big number that is a big number
2: yeah i think we spoke Yeah, it's going on to modeling and to get to that point with that study was a lot of work and a lot of oh, this software doesn't do this and this software doesn't do that. But yeah, it does quantify. And just, I just want to go back to our case study because we did get some like good outputs from it. Cause So I think I said that we evaluated, um, so we had these four apartments and we put in different shading strategies and we had some um good differences in this operative temperature which represents people so on the day that i said it reached 47.5 degrees when we had internal shading that temperature was reduced to 32 degrees and when we had external shading it was reduced to 29.5 degrees so with internal shading there was a 50 50 and a half degree reduction and then with external it was 18 an 18 degree reduction so again trying to quantify we've proved in a real building that shading does work. Mm-hmm. And it's not that case obviously in on that particular day the temperatures were quite high but this is why we looked at a range of different days and then kind of we do those averages that I don't I'm not a massive fan of averages but in this case it was needed. So we found that internal shading helped reduce in this particular building the temperatures by 9 to 13 degrees over those 14 days and external heating right. by 11 to 18 degrees That's, they're big temperatures they're things that we'd would really feel the difference um and not a lot of energy would be needed to reduce those temperatures well,
1: it's just a small amount of embodied energy I guess you know to, to save an enormous amount the thing is where I go to next with this is given the given the way temperatures are going, um, given the kind of weather events we're starting to see more now. I remember in Ireland, this September, October, I think it was, I think a prominent Irish kind of climate journalist, John Gibbons, posted some one or two in the morning weather data from his house. Or, and it was um, 22 degrees, something like that. Yeah. So in other words, the strategy that we've seen employed by kind of more enlightened people in the past of, um, of purge ventilating at night, there are some situations in which it's not really going to, you know, if, if the air is is, is already at a really quite a high temperature at night, yeah. you're kind of snookered, aren't you?
2: Yeah, it's a really good point. I was trying to convince my neighbours of this during one of our heat waves. They're an elderly couple. I told them what I do. They know what I do for a living, but did they believe me? No. So I was trying to encourage them to keep their windows closed. I said, look, it's hotter outside. You need to like keep those windows closed and keep your curtains and everything. Stop the the sun coming in and uh, yeah to keep it cooler inside for, for for a longer time and then when it changes in the evening like late at night then then open all your windows up and let that hot air out but no they were they were adamant they knew best we're gonna open the windows all day
1: <laughs> yeah keep calm and carry on that's it
2: yeah um, oh. but that's the thing it is a lot of it is to do with behavior and culture and i think a large part of it can be we can make occupants more comfortable by giving them the knowledge and repeating those messages on how to combat overheating and how to make themselves more thermally comfortable.
0: I think part of that is like the cultural issue in terms of what does the sun represent to us? And I'm speaking on behalf of the Irish as well here, Jeff, as the nations that don't get an awful lot of sunshine. Uh, Do you remember we had Robin McAlpine uh, on the podcast? Yeah. The year before last. Yeah. And he told us a tale about teaching his Mexican... Was she Mexican? Mrs. She was from a sunny place. Yeah. I might have mixed up them stories. Doesn't matter. She was from somewhere sunny. And like teaching her what it meant to have the first sunny day of the summer... Uh, the yeah, first it was- sunny day of the season. He's Scottish, so wasn't it topless with buckfast? Not it. No, no, he wasn't a buckfast drinker. <laughs> he told a story, which is in the podcast, about watching a fight uh, emerge in an offy over the last bottle of buckfast. No, so it was getting cans and heading for the nearest body of water, whether it's yeah. a river, a lake, or the shore. And this is something which is <laughs> endemic <laughs> to our population. As soon as, as soon as the sun hits us, like boom, we are outside. Taps off. Uh, if you're up north of the border, or just in the beer gardens, wherever you can. So the association with the sunshine, like it can't be bad for you. The heat is good for you. Like there is this peculiar, perverse notion which it's incredibly hard to shift. The idea that opening your windows will help is like this this a cultural relic now because we've never really had heat to such a degree that would mean that there's more hot air outside than inside
2: that and also not used to working or having to continue normal day-to-day life you think most of the time when we experience these high temperatures is when we go abroad and we're relaxing and we're not so bothered then and we don't really mind if our our villa is dark inside because there's shutters and things like that we're on holiday but when it's coming to like trying to i don't know doing things at when you're experiencing these hot temperatures at home when you're still getting on with your day-to-day we just need to work out how to how to manage that. Yeah. Well, day to day.
0: Well, thinking about that specifically in terms of building design and construction, every summer you're asked about Camden. You told me, which is preposterous, but absolutely pre- predictable because shading should not be a seasonal issue for the reasons we've discussed already today. Now, one thing that surprised me in our prior conversation was that you described shading as a stress purchase. Yeah,
2: yeah. And if you're under
0: stress, it's already too late.
2: Exactly. Like, so we're often, and this kind of gets back to retrofitting shading being a lot more expensive, a lot harder to do. You're also limited with what options you can do. But we're often called, just in the case of, in our case study, we're called afterwards to say, hang on, we have a problem. It's really hot. And then it's the case of, well, I need a solution. I want it tomorrow. What can be done? (laughs) But a lot of the time, that means we can't implement the best solution for, for the given problem. So things like with external shading, motorization is really, really useful for those higher floors, <laughs> so that's something that's not ground floor. And for that, you need electrical points, you need to have planning, you need to think about the external facade and those thermal bridges. Um, so we need to be earlier in that process. Otherwise, if we keep being seen as a stress purchase, you're not going to get the best solution and it's going to be a lot more costly. I think it's three to four times more costly. There, There was a study done at some point to see the cost difference for retrofitting and it's significantly more to retrofit. And it's funny, there's quite a few cases of where this gets done. Sometimes shading is actually in the initial plan and then ruled out. One of the most famous ones in London is the Walkie Talkie building. (laughs) Uh, that that originally was supposed to have external shading. And then that got taken out. Value
1: engineers. Yeah,
2: valued (laughs) engineers. That's the word. (laughs) And this building famously um, was melting cars and pavements because of the reflections from the building. Yeah, Uh, So the rays were hitting it and reflecting off. Um, And then they had to retrofit shading, which if they just kept it in at the beginning... You would forego a lot of issues.
0: I think they melted the dashboard of a parked Jaguar or Bentley
1: in the street beneath. Yeah, the door of the cafe across the road as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's <laughs> a good one. Um... Oh, but this is it. Like shading's value hard to quantify up front. And I think that's something that I'd like to talk about. But it's easy to quantify much further down the line when it starts costing actual real money. Yeah. So there are a couple of things that you described, which I think are worth getting into if you can't demonstrate shading's value in the building design with ease like it's going to be the first thing that's value engineered out of the program and because it doesn't accrue points if you like like value points in the the design process it's really easy to emit shading in favor of
1: like the obvious things like uh, mechanical ventilation yeah. So, cooling Why I would say, is more than more than more than mechanical ventilation, right? Actual air conditioning. You know,
2: the big issue we have is with creating the proof. So, in my study, we went and monitored, and you can see it; you can't deny it. But a lot of the evidence that's needed is is model data. You need to create houses in a in a building model, or buildings in a building model, and then prove that uh, a strategy will reduce it from overheating or reduce the energy consumption etc and we have this we have compliance models and we have an en- um en- uh, energy, energy models i would say yeah
1: uh, mm-hmm. yeah
2: so we have compliance models and energy models and in both of them shading doesn't come out favorably it doesn't show those differences so something that we did after the the camden study was we asked uh, a master's student to go and model it in one of the uh, popular energy simulation simulation tools and that work really showed that there was only a couple of degree difference between having shading and not having shading so it w- it wasn't showing that it was doing anything really of value and it's something that I've also come to me um we we mentioned the launch of this the new shading guide that good homes alliance have and when that was launched there was an opportunity for architects to get together and talk about shading and in those conversations they were saying yes I've I asked for shading to be implemented because of part o but in the model it showed that it wasn't really making a difference so there was no point in in including it uh, and this is our key issue at the moment, that modelling shading is, is very difficult. So recently, um, Sibsi created a new modelling guide called TM69, titled The Dynamic Thermal Modelling of Basic Blinds. And this is because we they title it Basic Blind because they realised the complexity of modelling different blinds. Uh, and that a lot of softwares that are used in the UK market are not uh, user-friendly to shading products because we have historically haven't had to model them since like the like the reintroduction of what we're trying to do now of shading products. So they're not geared up for the inputs of shading products really at the moment. So that's, I mean, that is a big barrier for both in compliance models and energy modeling tools that we can't really prove that they work. Um, and if we can't prove it, on a large scale, it makes it you can then understand why architects are going, okay, we'll look at another mitigation method. something that really came out recently, Pilkington, they did a webinar and a survey about part O and how it's impacted their building design going forward. And I think it was I think it was around 20 percent were saying that they were having smaller window installing smaller windows. And there was a larger percentage that were going for mechanical ventilation as opposed to shading strategies. And and that's quite scary. I mean, Mm. us at the BBSA, we've always kind of said that large areas of glazing, you can have those as long as you've got shading as well. Dynamic shading makes large glazing areas possible. Mm. So it's a little concerning at the moment the way, the direction that it's going but with all introductions of new new regulations, there are unintended consequences, and yeah, I think for me
1: the, the oversimplification is the issue. I don't necessarily have a problem with um with people moderating window size uh, because you know windows can be from an embodied carbon perspective, from mm-hmm. a heat loss perspective as well. They, they can i'm not saying we should all be living in you know um like building houses like the twits from the roald al novel with no windows you know because clearly there there are you know we, we there are they're really important as well but um it's the oversimplification of looking for one thing to to, to 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 solve these problems overall which which i think troubles me one thing i wanted to ask you about too in this context uh, and it's another kind of pet subject of mine is uh is the interface between district teaching and uh, overheating risk i um i don't know if it's an area that you've looked at much so we, oh sorry i should also uh, jump uh, i'm going to take it on the side for a second and j- just for the record state that the the master student who did that paper you talked about uh is a wonderful example of nominative determinism because his name is a uh, venturi <laughs> luigi venturi yeah. and venturi effect is this kind of uh effect with regard to stack ventilation isn't it, effect- yeah,
2: effect- it is. <laughs> effectively yeah
1: um so um just a strange one but uh with district heating, I mean, I uh, I live in a, in a low-energy flat that's got a centralised heating system. We're OK in our case because we've got not that much in the way of solar gains, but we've got high-temperature hot water being circulated around the building all the time in quite well-insulated pipes, um, uh, but the corridors get hot. Um, I know of other similar buildings where I, I, know I was speaking to uh, a, a woman I know who's just purchased an apartment in a similar scheme. Um, in, in ireland and they, they had they had workers in recently she was telling me who had to move the 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 pipes from outside her her front door because of the because they were just melting inside so is that something uh that, that you've looked at at all in your research is something that you're aware of um, as an issue?
2: something i suppose i'm aware of and it's uh, again those minimizing internal heat gains i think um the greater london authority has this hierarchy and at the top of their hierarchy is minimizing internal heat gains, and and that's and that is one of them. If you've got those high heat gains, they do really, really build up. Actually, it reminds me of a another case study. I went out to see. We were trying to uh, do a study with a hospital, as at the moment I think there's a there's a statistic that says ninety percent of our hospitals um, are overheating, are like susceptible to overheating so we started looking at this this other case study or the potential for doing it. It was just pre-COVID and then sadly it all kind of went away because of COVID. Uh, and they had, um, it was one of their offices and I went in and they were like, oh, like, can you have a look and see what you'd recommend in terms of overheating? Um, and they didn't have any shading on their windows. And first of all, I was thinking, oh, great, this is going to make a great shading case study and then i went into their office and they've got like six or seven computers with as many bodies in this one tiny <laughs> little office and i was like oh i think the issue with internal heat games you've got way too many people and equipment in this room for, for these two tiny windows that you've got open at the side <laughs> but no i cannot I, I can understand jeff it's a frustrating situation to be in especially when there's nothing that you can really do because it has to be on all the
1: time yeah it's it's just an issue that i think needs to again speak to me to to the need to have a really well-rounded understanding of the different factors that can kind of uh, combine to create problems in buildings you know um
2: yeah and it's about the placement or placement of the pipework and things like that and commonly it goes through corridors and you always have this issue of those corridors being really warm i know i've walked into quite a few london apartment blocks and it's just sweltering in the corridor <laughs> i
1: i actually have a neighbor uh, sorry um, a, a friend and neighbor who, who um in uh, another apartment building across the road and the same essentially this is by the same developer and uh, i have to, to check this out with him because he was he, this guy's quite green and he was—he had a strategy where he was going to be leaving the front door of his flat. He's now—he's a young kid, uh, a ten-year-old kid. Um, but he was going to leave the front door of his flat open all the time to rob heat.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't blame him.
1: <laughs> to yeah.
2: utilize that. Yeah, because heat will always seek seek the cooler places. So. It's a good way to go. <laughs> Free heating.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a tricky one though, because uh, I, I think back to um, the, famously we had these tower blocks um in Ireland with district heating um we had early experience of kind of soviet style district teaching in the ballymon in a kind of a deprived area of dublin where there were sort of multi-story tower blocks uh, built um in the i think the 60s uh, they've all been knocked um and this, there were stories of uh of the junkies hanging around in the in the corridors um because of the heat you know so that's the last thing you want to see walk in into your living room and there's a junkie sat next to your 10 year old you know yeah, yeah. um so- unless you're yeah. a
0: drug dealer <laughs> <laughs> in which case oh man that's ideal but uh Well, potentially.
2: Um... Yeah. I mean, what you'd really want to see there is a way for that heat to escape. So, either, yeah, some, you need more ventilation in the corridor areas, which is difficult to offer obviously design in yeah because they're in corridors or mechanical ventilation to help extract it
1: i think it's a combination of strategies too so i've seen some of the the passive house nuts um yeah. it, it, uh, it's always a combination of strategies jeff no like of course it's never yeah. just one thing just Not never it, but, keep reiterating
0: but this is but the, it, this is the problem with the bloody industry i
1: would say it's a combination of strategies and 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 also a willingness uh, uh to be pragmatic right um because people can become a bit dogmatic about something. Passive house, for instance, is, is is a case in point where where it's it's very possible for that to happen. And um, but say two of the uh, Jeff like, is a passive house zealot. No I'm, no, I'm not. No, <laughs> I'm um, So uh, Nick Grant and Alan Clark would be two of the leading brains on passive house in the UK. They've they've done a lot of work, anecdotal, you know, monitoring of passive houses in heat waves, where they're using this strategy of putting the ventilation system on summer bypass mode, of course, shutting all the windows and then night purge ventilating it, and then, you know, sharing the results usually on social media. Um, and um, the performance tends to be pretty good, but I think there'd be a recognition there that, uh, that you know, that again, if we get prolonged heat waves um, where the temperatures are high at night, you, you may even need, end up needing some active cooling, for instance. Um, and um, the other thing uh, that, that's worth flagging here is that Passive House, while it seems to work really well for for single dwellings uh there's a recognition even the Passive House trust published some guidance on them I, I don't know if you saw it zoe on summer comfort um a couple of years back um where they're explicitly recommending don't rely on the assumptions in in passive house and in, in, in the passive house planning practice software for large buildings in terms of of, yeah. of overheating because it because phpp averages the overheating for the whole building and if you've got like a if you certify a whole apartment building then you may have some cool cool flats and some hot flats and then overall see that there's no issue so more more um in other words it's important that we see that that we you know that that even people who are custodians of the likes of the standard are not being evangelical about it and recognizing where you need to do more
2: yeah and it's really interrogating interrogating those models and looking at okay so what's our worst case what's our best case within the same building so you can work out how bad and i think this is where i get i think i mentioned earlier averages i always worry because this is where kind of evaluations go a bit skew we start we we get drawn into looking at these averages where it's the extremes that we're trying to reduce not the averages and it's the extremes that we need to look at to make sure they're not too extreme i mean last year was it 2022? In England, they reported 4,500 deaths, uh, additional deaths due to overheating. Um, And those numbers are just increasing each year. And I I mean, taking it seriously, I mean, this is what we're we're trying to mitigate against. And if we keep, yeah, we have to be wary of those averages. Uh, And that was something that was brought up during the work that Luigi did when he was modelling. We were trying to understand why the There was such a big disparity between the temperatures in the model, which had shading, and the temperatures. Oh, no, the temperature. We're looking at the disparity between the temperatures in the model that had no shading and the real world scenario where there was no shading. And it came down to the outputs. So the operative temperature that was being output by the software. Was an average of the shaded area in that apartment. So at the peak time, like when the when it was in full sun, and there was lots. Yeah, there was yeah. Well, I say full sun. I mean, most of the apartment is in sunshine because there's no blinds. There's nothing shading it. The sun's coming streaming in. It was taking the average operative temperature of the back strip of room, like the back foot that was in shade, and that was the operative temperature it was giving for that room that's bizarre but it's not until you go and interrogate that model we even went to the modeling company and said why is this happening and they gave us a fix for it they said oh actually if you apply this equation it will give you a more representative temperature of the whole room including the sunshine area and that was great but we had to go and ask ask them which would normally cost a fee if we weren't doing research for consultants so in reality a consultant's not going to do that so this is where we have this this mismatch of information and how interrogating and looking at those extremes is it is really important
1: well um I, i don't know if this is true or not but it was put to me by a very experienced modeler that one of the problems we face here is that if you take something like SAP or uh, or Deep in Ireland, the, the equivalent, the, the you know the simplified, simple kind of calculation tool for for energy problems of buildings, um, in terms of compliance, the authorities all stress that it's not a design tool. So uh, I think because of the issues they run into here with, with things like this, with overheating, uh, you have an exam to sit, um, and you have to get a certain score um, to to become a user. I understand that, maybe I'm wrong, but my understanding was that uh, with with these more complicated tools is is that there's no exam as such to sit um there's no auditing done of the people who of of the modelers themselves um by a competent authority
2: i Uh, don't really know i would have to double check that i can't say for certain i know obviously a lot of modelers go through university educations they're taught and to a certain level and i think there are exams that you can go and do but whether there there is a requirement i'm I'm not 100 sure well
1: maybe maybe we leave this this bit down for now i don't know uh, if it's if it's not clear but it's something we should look into Um, yeah
0: yeah. well i i I don't think we're going to get to an answer but yeah it's something i think we should well i mean this is i mean sort of tangentially then so in a situation where you can't do modeling well enough to satisfy the needs of the project because of the, the fundamental inadequacies of the tools or the system around the tools. Like, cause you know, there are workarounds, but if you've got to use workarounds that suggests there's something fundamentally flawed about the system. And if you've got to pay for that workaround, even more so there's some, something fundamentally flawed with how you mitigate the inadequacy, the inadequacies of that system as well. And Even though there are shading products that are tested to the appropriate standards, if you can't model them for a design, there's no good reason to include them in a design. It's an onerous process to make sense of what's happening within the building. What do you do? Do we just not bother?
2: Let's wait until next summer.
0: (laughs) Talk about Camden again.
2: Value engineered out. (laughs) <laughs> and, um, and we end up at square one saying, and then we end up being the stress purchase that, oh no, I should have done it. I didn't do it. What can we do now? So and sadly with Camden, it was the case of that. The only strategy was to go internal shading. And I know now recently the building developer got in touch with, with the specific member and said we're now looking at installing mechanical ventilation air conditioning in those apartments because even with the internal shading it's not cool enough and they're struggling uh,
0: and occupants are struggling in them so in lieu of having the tools to make a positive case for shading et al like you know the whole plethora of measures that need to be, that should be considered alongside it because it on its own is unlikely to be adequate should building designers and the teams around them be trying to educate their clients as to the value of it through horror stories. <laughs> like, <laughs> would that be a better uh... It's funny
2: because I was working for a little bit at MEP consultancy. Um, I was only part-time because I was doing my PhD at the same time, and one of my colleagues came out and said, They were just talking about your case study. <laughs> and I was like, No, yeah, they were telling us how good shading is and why we should implement it because of of what happened in my um, in our case study here of those horrifying temperatures, so I think <laughs> there's a bit to be done by horror stories, but it's not it. It's building up. Hopefully, you'll have um, it's building up. A best practice, best case studies work work much better, and that's something that we worked with. Um, you're you're speaking to Tom soon about the Good Home Alliance new guide, and so there are some great case studies in that. Uh, that really highlight the different shading strategies. There isn't just wooden shutters, which a lot of people think are the only option for shading. There are lots of different varieties that lit in daylight and could be controlled in different ways. Um, So it's a great synopsis of the technologies out there, what they look like, how they can still be attractive. And it also has a nice little spider diagram that evaluates all the products in terms of maintenance, operability, daylighting overheating which makes it easier for designers to make a good decision and also highlight which ones are good so then they know when to question their models if they're saying they're not good yeah yeah
0: cool even i mean in the camden story i remember you saying that even the top floor apartment which had aircon built into it the aircon couldn't cope yeah, Just so us. at the
2: time, the top floor was slightly different, though. It was a goldfish bowl.
1: Oh, right. So,
2: and they install, they did install internal and external shading, and the aircon was still struggling, from my understanding. <laughs> oh, but man. What, what do you expect when you install a goldfish bowl apart? It was glass all the way around.
1: Yeah. I call it a greenhouse, yeah.
2: Yeah. It- <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, um, oh,
1: Man, I remember working...
0: So my first demolition job, we were knocking down, we, we we weren't knocking it down. It was soft strip of the NEAB, the Northern English Examining Board's offices in Manchester. One of the old mill, converted mill buildings or warehouse buildings. And because you take down all the internal walls mm-hmm. and everything, all you're left with is the external walls, which have big windows in because that was the only lighting, I think, presumably when those or oh, the best, the cheapest form of lighting when those buildings were built way back when. And as soon as you get rid of the internal walls, the shading that they provide, Jesus Christ, like ripping up asphalt floor with chicken wire through it. The the sweat coming off you, like the amount of hydration you had to put yourself through just to be able to do the job. Like I'd never thought of it. And those windows, they weren't massive. It was just like in a school building. But because you were surrounded by them, it was it was utterly unbearable. Except you because some of the you job. know what I
1: think I think actually there's a there's another fix for this developers can use um, and forget all of this this shading, um, design crap right. Um, what you do is uh, pitch it instead as the perfect environment to grow your own oranges. That's what you do, right? <laughs> yeah, perfect. Turn you know turn it into a different kind of a. But well, it
2: would be great as a roof
1: garden
0: for the rest of the apartment.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious.
0: <laughs> yeah all right. um so I think I think we can probably wrap up now. We've done somewhat like time. We've probably gone over. Is there anything? So use more shading, just do it., uh, and don't just think about it in the summer. Like we're putting this out in December because we need to be thinking about this all year round, not just because of the the low winter sun, but just because it's it's an issue that should not be. We should not be thinking about it just because it's nice outside. So, is there anything else we need to be thinking about before we wrap up, or any anything we should have asked that we haven't? Or Jeff, have you got any last questions?
1: Um, we haven't talked. Uh, well, we I, I don't a short, know
0: where... a short one though, Jeff. Like we're not getting <laughs> into, um, not a can just, of worms.
1: I just I'm just fascinated by the fact that congratulations on your new role with Sibcy. Um, and um, fascinated by the you know venerable uh, institute uh, as it may be for uh for. Uh, building service engineers uh, should be taking on someone whose uh main argument is going to be tr- to try and reduce the burden on reduce the emphasis on, on building services.
2: Oh well, I think you too you think too poorly of Sibsi. There are some good people no, they're great. There, and they are trying um yeah I mean they they have done for a long time. Anastasia Malona at Sibsi has Absolutely. been fighting the overheating battle for quite some time. She's very passionate about climate change and we also have julie godfrey godfrey there who does yeah. a lot of work on um embodied carbon and trying to reduce that impact so there's some well-versed individuals within sibsy it's just changing the tides and uh, and it take and it does take time to do that uh we send I think, sending the right messages out consistently
1: i think they they're absolutely they've been a voice of reason for a long time but uh um it's not what you'd expect from from a body that's uh, you know an Institute of Building Service Engineers, you know. So it's uh, it's it's great to see, and I've I've seen their their work on um, on I think it was TM sixty five on embodied carbon in building service stuff as well. So yeah, um, really looking forward to seeing what you can achieve in there. You know?
0: Yeah. Oh, and like since we were cussing out SAP earlier, like the I don't know if you saw that the home energy model future home standard assessment consultation tool. Was just pushed out uh, the other day, so there is we also
2: do like I've just put a consultation out. They're probably doing it all at the same time on uh, part L, part F, and overheating future home standard. Mm. So that just got released, and in it, in part, in the part O section, they specifically ask about material change of use, whether homes undergoing material change of use should be part of like have to go undergo part O. So there's hope for the future. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: But... There, there won't be another Bayham or Camden
0: study. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but them that know what the problems problems are, that are experiencing them and see the inadequacies, they need to be getting on board with this stuff to to tell people, the people who are asking in the consultation, what do we need to do? Why is it wrong? And as we discussed with Sarah Price, it ain't going to be perfect whatever comes out, but unless you put your voice in, it, it's never going to be heard
2: exactly so i'd really encourage anyone who's had any experience of part o to respond to the consultation um because it's the only way you kind of get your voice heard and can can make a change start making changes for the next version of part o overheating
0: and in this the the home energy model represents a complete overhaul compared with sap 10.2 and previous versions of sap right if they're saying that like what can we get done I mean, I'm just a gobshite on a podcast. There's not a great deal I can do in terms of contributing, but I would. We'll have a link to all the things uh, I'm sure in the show notes. All right, anything to plug?
2: No, just the new shading guide that you're going to be talking to Tom about,
0: really. Yeah, well, we'll make sure that's in the show notes, uh, and then
2: also maybe BBSA website, bbsa.org.uk. We have a campaign called Blame. Well, oh, blinds make better. That designers, consultants, anyone can sign up to and get information about shading products. So more recently, we did a study on the heat losses that shading products prevent. So we tested products at Salford University and found that the best performing product stopped heat losses through windows by 33%. So that's worth hiring a quick look at at this time of year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> cool. All right um jeff you got anything no it's just to say a uh, b- bizarre coincidence that uh, i just checked my emails cheekily and i have an email an inquiry about advertising from a fella an english fella who sells solar shading oh, <laughs> <good>. <laughs> so there you go yeah yeah <laughs> sorry <laughs> i don't know what i'm doing um yeah thank you so much Zoe. it's great to have you on um I and uh, i'm really going to look forward to following your work um you know and and uh, um see what horrors you expose next you know yeah
2: thank you very much it's been great chatting with you both i really enjoyed it
0: yeah no it's been a pleasure thank you um all right so the usual things join acan join the AECB, join the igbc uh ladies check her own space for retrofit and renovation stuff as jeff has so elegantly introduced uh advertise in passive house plus if you've got a business that needs to advertise it is one of the the best places you can it does generate results you know jeff he used to offer a, a an inquiries or your money back guarantee with advertising years ago. Such was his confidence. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of admin involved in that. So
1: well, it's something we 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 we'd consider. Um it's just important people understand uh, what the inquiries I mean, well we can give them inquiries, it doesn't mean that uh, you you can take a horse to water, as they say, you know. Yeah, you're yeah. still
0: gonna sell your product. He's not gonna yeah. do that for you just for the advertising <laughs> yeah. basis. Yeah. Um if there's anything that you think any of us should be covering in the magazine or on the podcast, holler at us. We do get back to you. We got an email this week. I am going to get back to you. Uh just to I've got a question about your feedback. But thank you for offering it. Review the podcast, please. Five stars. Nothing else will do. It's not about how needy we are, however needy and vain we might be. It's about the algorithm. It only cares about five stars. If you get something out of the podcast. Like you probably know someone else who will as well. So please share it with them. Zoe, please share it with all your friends and peers. Yeah. Anything else? Oh yeah, talk to us as well. The consultancy. You need any help or you just want to chat with someone who might know more than you about a thing that you're interested in. And we might not, but we probably know people who do. So just holler at us. We're not always just fishing for work. We're in it for the cause. Like we have a lot of time and all. I think that's it, isn't it? All right, Belton. Well, thank you for joining us, uh, Zoe, and all of the people in headphones. Now, cheers. All right, see ya. Bye. Bye. It's such a lackluster of goodbye. Fuck's sake.
1: Yeah, that was terrible, Dan. <laughs> <laughs>